So this is our, I think our fifth or our sixth in the series so far, and uh, I'm enjoying going through it. I hope, I hope you are too. I just really see a lot of things that are applicable today. And have any of you ever heard of Ray Comfort? He's sort of like a, a he's an evangelist is what he is. And uh, he, he has a wonderful way of like just putting people on the spot and really making them see the gospel. And one of the things, like when he's up asking people something, you know, do you think you're a good person? Well, most people think they're good people because we compare ourselves to uh, other people. And so we believe that, that we're good. And, and uh, you know, are we going to heaven? Yeah, God loves me. I, I think I'm going to heaven. And then he'll start with questions like, well, have you ever, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, I've told a lie. Well, what does that make you? A liar. A liar, right? Have you ever stole anything? Well, no, I don't think I... Have you ever taken a pen from a bank when you've been there? A pencil from a church? Yeah, well, what does that make you? If you take something that it's not true, what does that make you? Well, a thief. thief. Okay. Have you ever looked at somebody of the, the opposite sex with uh, lust in your eyes? What does that make you? An adulterer. And so he says, you're a lying thief that's an adulterer. Why would God want to let you into heaven? And then he goes on to, if we repent of those things, if we trust in Christ as our Savior, as we grow in him, he loves us. Well, God is dealing with his people here in Malachi. Um, the very same thing, Israel. And there's times when we come across scriptures that are difficult for us to understand. They're difficult for us to even really accept as we, as we look at those uh, scriptures. And, you know, nobody likes talking about giving because, you know, well, this is, you know, those are sensitive topics a lot of people don't talk about. But here in Malachi, he's talking about robbing God. And, it, and it's unfortunate that every time we get into talking about how do we rob God or how do we give to God, that we always think about money. Now, money is a part of it, okay? Money is what makes the world go round, okay? We understand that. But there's so much more to it, and it's not the, the tangible things that God is trying to teach people here. It's the principle that's behind it. And so as we look through it today, we're going to see how God is doing his work and what he is telling Israel and what he is actually telling us also. So last week we sort of talked about if we're driving down the road and we're not paying attention to the car that's in front of us, but we're sidetracked with looking off to the left and the right, it's easy for us to sway. It's easy for us to get off track. And which one of us has not done that? I mean, we've all done that. We've all gotten off track spiritually because we, we've taken our eyes off the important things. We've taken things off, our, our eyes off of God, and we've drifted left and right. And we can go through all sorts of things in our life and say that sometimes in marriages we take our eyes off the importance of that, that togetherness. And, and so all of a sudden it's like people say, well, we've drifted apart. Sometimes with friendships, it's the same thing. Sometimes at our work, if we're not paying attention to the things we're doing, we're not doing that job as well as we could. But he told us here at the end of uh, the, verse, uh, the verses of last week in Malachi 3.7, he says, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now the Lord of hosts again means the Lord of everything. He's God over all things. But he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, in what way shall we return? Now part of the problem that Israel was having, and I'm going to say part of the problem that we have as Christians, 
is we don't see the error in our life. So we say, well, what is there to return from? I'm doing okay in my life. I don't understand what you're talking about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because when we are blinded to our own um, shortcomings, our own sin, our own darkness, then there's no addressing it. You know, I deal a lot in the prison with people that are, are AODA, they're drug addicts. And one of the first steps we always talk to them about in getting victory over that is to admit it, is to recognize it in your life. And so even as we talk about things, I used to have an elder up in, in our previous church, and every so often somebody would say, oh, you're a good person, and he'd always say, there's none good but God. And he was always trying to make that point, that we are not good in and of ourselves. Our goodness, our righteousness, our, our value isn't within ourselves, it's within Christ who is in us. Because Romans would tell us, that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. That the works that we do apart from Christ in our life, though they, they may bless somebody here on earth, eternally they have no value. And so when we begin to realize that we are not good, our tendency, and all of us I think, is to sin, is to stray, is to go the wrong way. When Jesus was tempted up on the mount. We saw the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what Satan tempted Jesus with. And when we look in our life, we can say the exact same thing. He tempts us with the lust of the eyes. We see something, we want it. You know, oh man, that's nice. And, and our heart begins to lust after that. We begin to look at the physical things of this world. Oh, I want a new truck. I want a new car. I want... Now again, there, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. The lust is the problem. And so the lust of the eyes, we see something, we covet what our neighbor has. We lust after that. The lust of the flesh, the things that desire us. Gluttony is one of those things. We don't deny ourselves much in our lives anymore. But when we look at those things, we can say the lust of the flesh. If it feels good, do it. Do you remember that statement that uh, used to float around? Maybe it still does. Ah, you only go around once in life, go for the gusto. If it feels good, do it. It's the lust of the flesh. Now again, there's nothing wrong with having fun in life and enjoying this life. God has given us this world and his creation to enjoy. The problem is the lust and the pride of life. Pride is a huge thing in believers today. In the Christians. I'm not even talking about the world. We're the church. So I'm talking to the church. And I'm talking to those who profess Christianity in their life. Pride is a terrible thing. We don't want to confess our sins to one another. We don't want to admit to others that we have fallen short. We even sometimes have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. Because somehow it admits that we were wrong in something. Well, what is Israel saying here? God says to them, but, in, in, but you say, in what way shall we return? The pride of life. They're really saying we haven't done anything wrong. I don't know what we can return to. And so God goes on to explain this. And when we get into Malachi 3, 8 through 10 here, it says, will a man rob God? It's a question. Yet you have robbed me, says God. 
But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Now notice as we've been going through these three chapters that there is sort of this defiant attitude. There's sort of this um, argumentative mode that is going on between Israel and God. And I want you to open your eyes to the world today. And I want you to open your eyes even to in Christian circles and see if you don't see that argumentative mode that is going on. God is making a statement. And our, our answer to God when he makes a statement should be this. You are right, God. I am wrong. What do I need to do to change? If I don't think I can change myself, Lord, give me the strength to change. We don't get on our soapbox. We don't stand up on the chair and say, but I'm right. And this is what Israel is saying. They're saying, in what way have we robbed you? And so he goes on to explain a little bit about the law that was there. He says, in tithes and offerings. And he says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me and know this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, that there will be not room enough to receive it. Unfortunately, the prosperity gospel likes to stand on this phrase quite a bit. But it is a promise of God. It's something that God is telling Israel at this time. And so when we're reading through this, we can look back to Jacob, and we talked to Jake about Jacob because back in, I um, can't remember what verse it was, was it verse 6, where it talked about um, Jacob, meaning Israel, but we also talked about how Jacob cheated Esau, and one of the Hebrew meanings of the word Jacob is, is cheated. And so God is really saying, you're cheating me. You're cheating me. Now understand this, God does not need anything that I have. He doesn't need, I mean, everything I have is because of him. But if, if I think I'm a, a good speaker, a good uh, uh, sermon preparer or giver, he doesn't need me. I mean, he used, in, in the past, he's used stutters, he's used uh, the lowly, he's used the exalted. He doesn't need me. God can raise up from the earth anybody to do what I do. He doesn't need my money. What's my money to him? It says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It says that, that when I die, I'm going to go to a place where uh, the streets are of gold. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need my talents or my abilities. He doesn't need those things to accomplish his will. But he desires them. He desires us to be, want to be used of him. And so that's sort of what it's talking about. And if they had taken what was rightfully God's, I'm going to ask you, are you taking what is rightfully God's and holding it back from him? And again, it's not just monetary. It's not just possessions. It's time. It's prayer. It's study of his word. You know, to have a good friendship, you need to spend time with those friends. I remember when, I, when we first got married, I had some very close friends, and some nights I'd talk on the phone with them, ones that I would see during the day, but I would talk with them sometimes a couple hours a night. We would just talk about all sorts of different things. Is that cheating God? Because God desires that same thing. Why does he say pray always? It doesn't mean we drive down the road with our eyes closed. And, no, but it means that, that our mind is stayed upon him. 
we're thinking about him. When we walk out our back door and we see some beautiful flowers out by our patio, we can say, man, God has made a beautiful flower. Thank you, God, for this vision. Thank you, God, for the, for the beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the rain that we've had. Thank you that the, the destruction wasn't worse. You know, one of the things I've even found out is I, through my years of, of ministry is when I've done difficult funerals is to thank God for the time that we had with that person because the only thing worse would have been not to have any of that time at all. See, we need to learn to praise God in the time of the storm. We need to learn not to take what is rightfully God's. And Jesus tells us that when we come to him and he calls us and we respond to that message that we are bought with a price, we are his. Their question was, how do we rob you? You know, really what they're saying is, we're not robbing you. You're wrong in this, God. Has God ever come to you and, and, and pressed something on your heart and you got into that argument with him? Saying, but I'm not doing that, Lord. It's okay. You got it wrong. Israel was doing that. So according to the law, the Jews gave a tenth of everything they had to the Lord. The first tenth of everything that they had to the Lord. So when the crops would come in, they'd bring a tenth of their crops to the storehouse. They would give a tenth of their, if they were market in the marketplace, they would give a tenth of their income. And that's why a lot of times, even today in churches, we, we sort of use that principle of a tenth, even though God talks about something different. But there was a purpose why they gave that. Part of it was for uh, the leaders of the church. Part of it was for the priests. Part of it was for the offerings of God. It was really for the ministry. It was given to God so his work could continue. And they were robbing God of those things. And you can read through Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, and it gives all these laws that Israel was under. But he says, you weren't doing this. I'd given you my law. And again, the law wasn't just there to, to, the, to the jot and the tittle, to the must-do, check-off-this list. It was there to teach God's people a principle in their life. God is continually wanting to teach us principles in our lives. Not just the, the, the do's, the checklist. You know, I, I, I mean, I remember times past and I hear sometimes churches that do this that say, you know, well, when we come to a, a board meeting, we want a list from the pastor of everybody that, that he visited during that month. And I thought, well, isn't that dumb? So I'm walking down the street and there's Margaret and I wave at Margaret. She's off the list. You know, or you see somebody at the gas station, or you have an incidental contact, or, you know, what are you? Are you a person, or are you a statistic? See, the purpose of visitation isn't to make statistics, it's to build relationships. And that's all what God is about. And so he tells us here in verse 10, again, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So a storehouse, it was a room to store the tithes that were brought in by the people. It was a place where they would gather all this stuff together. So the food was there, so it could be divided upon the priests, the house of Levi, the other religious leaders. It was a place where that could be taken care of. It was uh, really, you could have called it like the temple treasury in a way. 
It was the storehouse of God where things came together and where things were dispersed. And it was one of Nehemiah's tasks to ensure that the supplies needed to support the ministry did not fall as it had been during his absence. Because when he was gone one time, all of a sudden, things weren't getting taken care of. And so that's why when we gather things, whatever it is, we had somebody the other day that just left a couple bags of groceries out on our, our front step of our church here for our food pantry. We bring that in. So we can bless others with that, so we can hand those things out. We want to be good stewards with whatever it is that God gives us as a corporation, okay, as, as a body, as his body. We want to be good stewards with that, but individually also. Because as the body goes, so is each individual. So God teaches us to be good stewards with what we have. If it's our money, if it's our resources, if it's our time, be good stewards with whatever it is that God has given you. Proverbs 11, 24, 25 says this, There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Proverbs is a, is a book of probabilities, they call it. And so what he's saying here, sometimes we hang on to things. Oh, my time is valuable. Oh, I don't have enough time to, to, to do a devotion. I don't have enough time for a Bible study. I don't have enough time for prayer. I don't have enough time to do this or do that. And really what this proverb says is, the more time you try to hang on to, the less you are going to have. And it says the generous person, the one who's generous with his time, Generous with the things that he has. It says, the one who waters, the one who is giving out the water, it says, will be watered himself. Some of the most active Christians that I've met in my life are the most busiest people that I know. I have, I have one friend up north. As a matter of fact, Larry was talking to him yesterday. He was, he was on the road, but I had a question, and I, I wrote him. He got back to me like that. And he says, you know, I shouldn't be texting and driving. Give me a call. So we got on the phone with him. The guy goes from morning till night. But he always has time for the Lord. Runs a youth group over 50 people every week. Feeds them. I don't know if you know what it's like to feed 50 kids. And it's not just like, well, here's a bunch of bag of chips. I mean, they make meals. They're busy. But they give to the Lord and he always has enough time to get his job done. He always has enough time for his wife and family. He always has enough time for anything else that needs to be done. And so the principle here is the one who scatters yet increases more. The one who gives. If a farmer says, I have a 50-pound bag of oats, but I'm going to hang on to that because I don't, I don't want to throw them oats out on the ground because what if? But the farmer knows what the increase is, right? We plant those oats, and now I've got a whole field full of oats. We need to think of the principle that God is trying to teach us here. 9 through 12 says that this curse is really upon the whole nation of Israel. Verses 11 and 12 tell us this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit 
for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. When we look at it, he says there's going to be a promise that is given here. God tells us in 11 and 12, what does he say? He says, test me. Test me. Sometimes we think it's wrong to test the Lord. No, the Bible says don't tempt the Lord. But here God says, test me. He says, test me and see if this is not true, if this will not come to be. Prove me or test me. So he was inviting Israel to put God to the test. And I tell people that many times too. If you're unsure of something, and maybe you've studied the word and you're trying to just really figure it out in your head, just, just prove God. Take him at his word. It's, trust is another word for this. Trust in him and try it and see if it doesn't work. Spend 15 minutes or a half hour in prayer a day and see if your outlook doesn't change. Spend that time reading your Bible and see if God doesn't speak to you and if changes don't start to happen. Test him and see if, if he's not going to bless you in those ways. But we can't go around saying, but in what ways? Well, the little bit of time I give him, that's good enough, God. You understand. You know I'm a busy man. You know, we get busy in a lot of things in this world. And we can make time for a lot of things in this world. It always amazed me when I pastored up in farm country how the farmers always complained about the church time. Oh, you know, the church is too early. Oh, the church is too late. Oh, I got chores to do. I got this to do. But when deer season came around, they were out in their barn at 3 in the morning so they could be on their stand at 5.30, 6 o'clock. Isn't it amazing how we can do those things when we want to or when we need to? Don't rob God of what he's speaking to your heart about. He says if they would honor him by reversing their robbery and show true repentance of this, because God is saying this is a heart issue. It's not just a duty issue. Okay? Uh, for, for a long time, and I still get in the habit of saying it during our giving time, you know, tithes and offering. Tithe. We're not under the law of the tithe anymore. That, that, that went away. We're not under that. It's a good principle, but we're not under that law anymore. But what God was trying to teach him was to be a cheerful giver. So we have that verse in our, in our bulletin today. And we're going to have it in a little bit here. He wants us to give not because we have to, but because we want to. He doesn't want to rob us of our time and then we grudgingly go to, well, it's a church work day, I don't have, I could be home doing this. And I got. He doesn't want that. As a body, we don't want that. God says there's something that needs to happen in the heart. And so he says, when you reverse this robbery, when you begin to give God what is his by repenting, and repenting isn't just saying I'm sorry, but repentance comes from the heart because it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's a change of direction. We begin to look at things different. He says, I will show you what abundance is. I will show you what blessing is. And again, this isn't prosperity gospel. You're not going to get rich. Your bank account's not going to necessarily jump through the, the roof. He's not talking about that. He's talking about blessings. Blessings in your life. 
He says, I will take care of you. I will give you what you need. And he tells Israel here, he says, I'm going to protect you from the locusts. I'm going to protect your, your crops so they're not damaged. You know, again, I, I have a friend, and again, there's no law for this, and there's no judgment that goes on with this, but I have a farmer friend who, who just will not do stuff on, on Sundays, apart from what he has to, about cows. So if he has hay down on a Friday, couldn't get to it Saturday, it's going to rain Sunday, he doesn't go out there Sunday and collect it. He'll wait till Monday. And if it rains and it, and it goes bad, he'll blow it back. Over the years I've known him, I've seen his farm increase and be blessed. I've seen his family be blessed. I'm, he's a blessing to the church. See, God provides for us when we honor him in whatever we do. Now, I'm not saying that that's every farmer needed to do that or should do that. That was his conviction. He was giving to God what he believed he needed to give to God first. Are you giving to God what you believe he is requiring of you? Verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that they will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. There's the promise. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. And it says, And all nations will call you blessed. Are you concerned about your testimony? Are you concerned about not just what other people think about you, but are you concerned about what God really thinks about you? Are you putting him first in your life? But it says, all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of everything. He's going to bless us. He's going to take care of us. And really, if he's taking care of us, isn't that all we really need? We work so hard to gather. We're sort of like that foolish farmer. We gather and gather and gather and gather and pretty soon our, our barns can't hold it so we big, build bigger barns to get more and to get more and to get more and what did God say? He says, you fool. You fool. See, sometimes we're foolish with the things that God has given us. God tells them he's going to bless everything that they put their hand to. And again, I want to clarify, this isn't prosperity gospel that I'm talking Bad things can still happen. You can still get sick. You, you might have, you know, other, your car is going to break down. Those things might happen. But God says, he will take care of you. And then for Israel's sake, he was saying, I'm going to send the rain at the proper time. I am going to help your crops grow abundantly. Repent and come back to me. There will be plenty of everything. And you're going to be delightful in the eyes of others. What's your countenance upon others when they see you serving the Lord? Do they see you grudgingly serving the Lord? Do they see you dragging your feet and, and mumbling and grumbling about whatever it is that, that God is calling you to do? 2 Corinthians tells us this. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do we believe that? There we go. 
You know, a farmer that, that says, and I have no idea what I'm even talking about here because I've never been a farmer, but if they say you're supposed to, you know, do so many pounds an acre of this, uh, of, of oats or corn as you're planting it, so they say that's where you're going to get your best yield is to, is to do this, you know? How, how many pounds to an acre? So what happens if you only put one or two bushel down per acre? You don't get much. It's going to be pretty sparse. What would happen if you put 12 bushel an acre? Mm. A little heavy. A little heavy. Choke itself out, right? It tells us here, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The only thing is, is we can't outgive God. We can't outgive God in our time or anything that we have. But it says if you reap, you know, sparingly, it says, you're going to receive sparingly. And if you reap bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. But he says, don't do that just for the sake of doing it. You know, if, if, I, if I see somebody in need and I say, you know what, I'm going to go give this person 20 bucks because I know God's going to give me 100 bucks back. Wrong. My heart is wrong. I'm not giving to help that person. I'm giving for selfish needs. The Bible even talks about pastors and, and those in ministry that do that. Watch TVN sometime. Watch those prosperity gospel preachers on that TV sometime. And listen to them beg for money and cry for money and send me money, 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 money. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. God says he loves the heart and he wants the cheerful giver. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Sometimes that's tough. When we first became Christians, for me it was really difficult because we lived paycheck to paycheck. Now, I'll say I had a lot of money for a lot of other things that were not godly, but to give to God was sort of hard for me. But somebody told me, test and see, test and try. I had a wife that was faithful and good. Sometimes it was like, oh, I can't believe this. How are we going to make rent? How are we going to pay this? How are we going to pay that? But God was faithful. You let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, not because you have to, not for others to see, but God loves a cheerful giver. And he goes on to say, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us, through God. So you see, he's talking about the righteousness. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about our character and who we are. He's not just talking about the things. We need to get our eyes off the things. We need to pay attention to those things that are real. One of the places we lived... One of the main uh, things of employment was road construction. And guys were gone, and some gals, almost all summer. Maybe home a day a week. If they're real busy, maybe a day or a weekend every other week. And I remember one couple that their marriage was struggling. And in talking with the guy, the discussion was, what's the most important thing to you? But we make good money, was his answer. Is it worth your marriage? 
Well, things got worse and worse in their marriage, and finally he quit the road and decided to work on his marriage. He was blessed. Not financially, because he had lost, you know, a big pool of what he was doing, but he gained because he was working on something that was more important than the money. He says, the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched by everything. Do we have our priorities wrong in some things? I think we do. I think we do, and I think we need to look at that and really just repent of those things and tell God, I want in my life what I need in my life, not what I want in my life. We all have a lot of wants in our life, but there are more important things that are needed. Malachi 3, 13 and 15. Again, he's, he's talking to Israel and their, their issue that they were having. And he says this, But your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? They're not getting it. Why does the New Testament tell us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith? Why does it tell us to look into that mirror? Because when we look into the mirror, we see ourselves. When we're looking out the window all the time, we're looking at others. And the world is full of that. We're looking at everybody else, comparing ourselves to everybody else, trying to find faults with everybody else, and we're not looking at ourselves. They continue to argue with God. What have we spoken against you? God must just be shaking his head, but he loves them. And there's a remnant and there's always been a remnant, and he's giving them the answers. He's giving them the way out, and they're not seeing it, and he continues to tell them. He's persistent with them as he is with us. Sometimes we're blinded to the things that are right in front of us. We're deaf to the things that are being said. It's like the three stooges. He says, you know, he says, I don't hear anything. And the guy says, why? He says, because I'm not listening. God says, he who has ears, let him hear. But you have said, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. He's telling Israel that Israel is saying, it's worthless to serve you. When we serve God just to receive, we're doing it with the wrong motive. And I really believe that that's what he's talking about. They thought, well, if we do this, we're going to be blessed here. And if I give my best cow, you know, I'm just out of cow. I'm not going to get any blessing of that. Or if I give a little extra grain, I'm not going to get any extra blessing out of that. So why not give the bad stuff? Why give the, not give the secondhand stuff? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, that we have walked his mourners as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Listen to what they're saying. What profit is it to us to do these things? Are you into Christianity for what you can get out of it, or are you into Christianity for what he put into it? Jesus died on the cross for you and I. We receive eternal life. That should be enough. Listen, you may go through struggles in your life. You may have battles. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. 
I mean, other Christians, as you read through the New Testament, they struggled with things in their life. You may struggle your whole life with things. But if you say, it's not fair, why am I sick? Why does my family go through this? Why am, why am I have to struggle with this addiction or this thought in my head? It's not fair. You're looking at it for the wrong reasons. What profit is it that we have kept this ordinance? And, they, and we have walked before mourners who, oh man, that's, uh, we're down in the mouth about it. So how can we call the proud blessed? For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. They're comparing themselves to others. The New Testament tells us the rain comes for the just and the unjust. Listen, good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to good people. That's from a sinful, broken world. That's from sin in this world. But he goes on and he gives hope. If we go to 16, 18. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. There's a remnant. I pray today as we're sitting here that, that God is speaking to you and you are hearing what he is saying in your life. He says, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. Do you fear the Lord? Do you respect the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and body, and mind, and strength? Is he the most important thing in your life? This book of remembrance, some think it's the book of life. It could be that. There was also a custom back then when you did good things, they would write them down in the book because they believed you should be rewarded for those things. But he says, God listened to them and he heard them. And so a book of remembrance is written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. Do you meditate on his name? Do you study the word of God? He says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels. What a wonderful thing. To come into the presence of the Lord and to know that he's going to be, that you are going to be one of his jewels. That he has a place reserved for you in heaven in all eternity. As a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall gain dis to discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. We as Christians have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to Jesus Christ. We have taken on the name of Christ. That's what we call ourselves Christians. But Matthew tells us this, Matthew 25, Then shall the king say unto them, On his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful promise God has for us. John 10, 27 through 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You know, the shepherds in, in, the, in the old country, that's what Jesus is talking about. They all could be mingled in a valley. And when the one shepherd would stand up and he'd give the call, his sheep would come out from amongst the other sheep. That's what Jesus says. My sheep know my voice. My sheep hear me. Are you hearing what God is saying to you today? And know this. 
that if you are his sheep and you are following him, he gives us eternal life. And nobody can rob that from you. Nobody can take that from you. But the other side is Matthew 3. Whose fan is in his right hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the storehouse. There's that word storehouse again. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You got to understand that there's a day coming when he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, the saved from the lost. And he's going to call unto them that have accepted Jesus Christ to come to him and they're going to come because they're his sheep. And the rest are condemned to eternal damnation in hell. If you hear his voice, you need to listen to what he has to say. You need to follow him and do what it is that he has called you to do. You know, we say, how do we rob God? How do we rob God? Maybe we need to spend some time in prayer and ask ourselves, between us and God, God, am I taking things that are rightfully yours that belong to you? Am I putting you first in my life? I want to be in the book of remembrance. I want to be that sheep that when he calls, I come and I spend eternal life with him. I pray that that's your prayer also. Let's close. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word.